Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Get myself arranged here real quick. Let's begin in prayer, shall we? Father, please let your Holy Spirit fill this place. Please anoint us for for teaching and for learning, for speaking and for listening, and for doing mightily your service out there in the world. In the name of Messiah Yeshua, amen. So we are at day 21, week three, going on week four uh, in our Omer countdown in Shavuot. We've completed Passover, and we are moving on to Shavuot in the Gentile Christian church. Uh, In the Gentile Christian church world, they've completed Easter, and they are progressing to Pentecost. And these are temporal time transitions, but they also mark a a transition, a progression of God's people that they've experienced. For Israel, it went from their progression from from simply being redeemed from slavery to the bestowal of the Torah on them. And for the Yeshua believer it marks the progression of simply being saved uh, through Yeshua's sacrifice to being filled with and immersed with the Ruach HaKodesh. And it's that thing that I want to speak to you this, uh, this morning about, this, uh, the, the encounter that we have with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. It is extremely important to understand the full ramifications of what happened on, on Shavuot morning to the Yeshua disciples. And in short, this congregation would not exist were it not for the move and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. No congregation of Yeshua believers would exist were it not for the leading and the action of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh among us. It is an essential element for our existence, an essential element for the existence of the wider ecclesia, for the wider body of Yeshua believers. In short, to put it in modern contemporary terms, the Ruach HaKodesh is our killer app. It is our killer app. And what do I mean by a killer app? In your tech Silicon Valley marketing terms, a killer app, a killer application, sometimes you'll hear it called a killer feature, that it is, uh, quote, it is a feature function or application of a new technology or product that is presented as virtually indispensable or much superior to rival products. It is a program that is so necessary or desirable that it proves the core value of some larger technology. In other words, it's the new thing that everyone has to have and they can't get anywhere else. In the late 70s and the 80s, every business, they had to buy these big, chunky, blocky, you remember these Apple IIs and these IBMs, they had to get those because they had on their a very important spreadsheet and word processing applications on them that made basic business functions much easier. It revolutionized the American economy. Later on, we got our big... We, we traded in our big, chunky flip phones, right, our, our, our dumb phones for smartphones. Why? Because it has a, a PC-like operating system on it. It's a little computer in your pocket. And it's, 
it's, it's very valuable. So it's the feature that it gets mass consumer interest because it basically revolutionizes their lives. It solves problems they didn't even know they had. And it makes the, the enterprise, the, the, the people who have this feature, it makes them a huge success. It makes them a household name. That's what I mean by a killer app. How is the Ruach HaKodesh, how is the Holy Spirit our killer app here? Shavuot morning, the upper room in Jerusalem. How many Yeshua believers were there? Roughly 120. <laughs> now think about this. You have Yeshua. He is... He spends three years among the Jewish people. He taught the best teaching possible. He preached the best sermons possible. He worked the greatest miracles possible. He healed people, cast out demons, multiplied loaves and fishes, even raised people from the dead. He himself died and came back from the dead, and he appeared to multiple eyewitnesses, hundreds of eyewitnesses. In the end of all of that, how many committed, sold-out Yeshua believers were there? 120 a good percentage of which were his family, by the way. So uh, that was Shavuot morning, and those believers were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. Then those 120 people get filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. How many believers were there at the end of the day? 3,000. <laughs> so a 2,500% increase in believers. So despite everything Yeshua had done, I hope I got the math right there, despite everything Yeshua had done in his ministry on earth, as a corporeal person in the course of three or so years, there were 120 believers. In a matter of hours, the spirit of Yeshua, he goes out working among the people, right? And that results in 3,000 believers, and eventually thousands and millions and billions more. That despite everything that had happened before in the Gospels, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was necessary. It was indispensable for the Yeshua congregation to get going. And that's what I mean by the Ruach HaKodesh being our killer app. There is no Yeshua community without the working of the Holy Spirit among us. And so it's vitally important for us to understand the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and how it is working among us. But it's also a hard thing to talk about, right? Because there's, I mean, there's some good, faithful, committed, Bible-believing, Yeshua-loving believers out there. That, but if you, you show them Scripture and what Scripture says about the Holy Spirit, it makes them a little nervous because of maybe what they've experienced and what they've seen out there in the world in light of what, what they've seen, right? Because you know what happens when a big, big Silicon Valley giant, when they, get it, when they come out with a killer app that everyone has to have? You get shady, unreputable competitors who will make a cheap knockoff counterfeit product and try to steal your customers, right? And that's what Satan's out there doing, that there are out there some mentally, emotionally, spiritually unstable people, some unstable people out there. There are exploitive and abusive people out there who will try to sell you a cheap knockoff counterfeit version of Holy Spirit spirituality. But we can't throw away the baby with the bathwater, right? We, need, we are commanded by Scripture to be discerning, to test the spirits, so that when, not if, but when the Ruach HaKodesh moves in our midst, we'll be able to identify it, know it, and act accordingly, right? So let's talk about the Ruach HaKodesh here. Let's, we got three big questions we're going to go over here. The Ruach HaKodesh, what is it 
That's a good one. How do we get it, and what does it do when we get it? So what is it, how do we get it, and what does it do when we get it? Those three questions. The first thing that we need to know about the Spirit, the Ruach, is that it is God. It is the presence of God. It is the Shekinah, it is the Kavod, it is the glory of God, that the abiding presence of God in our midst. Now, what happened on, Sh- on Shavuot morning to the upper room for the Yeshua believers, it was amazing, it was miraculous, it was surprising, but it was not unprecedented. It had actually happened before, at least twice before in Scripture. We read in Exodus 40 the following, Now it happened during the first month of the second year on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was raised up. So Moses, fill, so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Adonai filled the temple. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud resided there, and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. Fast forward to Solomon's day in Second Chronicles 7. Now when Solomon finished praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of Adonai filled the house. And the Kohanim could not even enter the house of Adonai because the glory of Adonai filled the house of Adonai. When all B'nai Israel saw the fire come down, the glory of Adonai above the house, they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, prostrating themselves and praising Adonai, saying, For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And now again, fast forward to Acts 2. What happened? When the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and tongues of fire spreading out appeared to them and settled on each one of them. They were all filled the Ruach HaKodesh and began to speak in other tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak out. So, in the Torah, they built a tabernacle, the glory of God, this big, shiny Shekinah came down upon it. In the Tanakh, Solomon builds this temple, and then the glory of God, this big, bright, shiny, burning uh, uh, glory of God comes down on the temple. But in the apostolic writings, something different happens. Instead of the glory or the presence of God going into a tabernacle or into a temple, it goes into us. You are the temple. You are the tabernacle for the abiding presence of God. And that, this is an extremely important concept, something you may have heard me talk about or teach about before, but it bears repeating. You are a temple for the Ruach HaKodesh, for the Holy Spirit. You are a God container. And it's very important concept for how you perceive yourself and, and conduct yourself. If I were David Rudolph, I would make you repeat that three or four times. It's so important. If I were David Wine, I'd make up a Broadway musical number about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's important. You are, a te- you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And every single person here is capable of housing the Spirit of God inside of them. And that makes you very valuable, very precious. It makes you priceless. No matter who you are, no matter what your situation in life is, no matter how much you've been abused, and no matter how much you've abused yourself, you can have the glory of God inside of you. What else is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, it's the spirit of Yeshua. It's the spirit of Messiah. And this, it's important to keep in mind. 
First Peter 8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you trust him and are filled with a joy that is glorious beyond words. Actually echoes the, the Anim Zemirot that we that we'll say during Rosh Hashanah. It's this poem kind of saying something very similar. First Corinthians 2.16, Paul even goes as far as to say that we have the mind of Messiah. Now think about that. When you feel the Ruach in you, that's that's Yeshua. That's when you when the rock rejoices at something, gets happy at, at something that it sees, or it's, or it sees something out there in the world, and it gets angry or sad, and that's Yeshua feeling that. That we none of us here have ever met Yeshua. I don't think none of us here have ever met Yeshua, but we know everything about him because we have the mind of Messiah. That's quite a thing. Now the other thing that according to Scripture to know about the Ruach Hakodesh is that it is an identifying definitive trait of all committed and mature Yeshua believers. It is identifying and definitive trait of all committed Yeshua believers to have the Ruach HaKodesh. Again, this is the kind of thing that makes people nervous when you talk about it, but it's important to rightly divide the Word of God and so we get an honest and coherent and we get a good biblical understanding of, of the, the Holy Spirit and how it's working among us. Let's take a look at Acts 8, shall we? Philip went down to the main city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were paying close attention to what Philip was saying, and they both heard and saw the signs that he was doing. For unclean spirits were coming out of many who were plagued, shrieking with a loud voice. Many paralyzed and crippled were healed also. So there was a great joy in that city. When they believed Philip proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Messiah Yeshua, both men and women were immersed. So this sounds great, right? Philip goes down there. He declares the gospel to them, talks, talks about the gospel. He heals people. He uh, works miracles. He gets a tons, ton of new Yeshua believers, and they're immersed. Mission accomplished, right? Let's read on. Now, when the, the apostles, when the emissaries in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the message of God, they sent Peter and John to them. They came down and prayed for them to receive the Ruach HaKodesh for it had not yet come upon them, for they had only been immersed in the name of, of the Lord Yeshua. Then they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Ruach HaKodesh. So this, this is interesting, right? That uh, basically that we have a situation here that you had a whole bunch of repented, immersed Yeshua believers, and Peter and John, the apostles, they still felt the need to lay hands on them and give them the Holy Spirit. There was something left to be done. There was something more, there was something, one more thing that needed to happen to them in order for them to be complete. Another example is that we have here in Acts 19, Acts 19, 1 through 7. When Apollos was at Corinth, Paul traveled through the upper region and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and said to them, now, now, keep in mind that he's meeting these people for the first time. He doesn't know anything about these guys except for that they are disciples. What is he? At? What's the first question he asks them? What's the first thing he wants to know about them? <laughs> are you reading the Bible regularly? How's your prayer life? What are your stances on transubstantiation, predestination? Do you eat milk and meat at the, together? No, he's not asking any of that. The first most urgent thing he wants to ask them is, have you received the Ruach HaKodesh when you believed? They replied to him, no, we've never even heard there's a Ruach HaKodesh. He said, into what were you immersed? He said, into John's immersion. 
Paul said, John immersed with an immersion of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Yeshua. When they heard this, they were immersed in the name of Lord Yeshua. And when Paul laid hands upon them, the Ruach HaKodesh came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. In all, there were about 12 men. Now, again, this is the kind of thing that makes some people uncomfortable, right? Because... There's a lot of people out here, a lot of people in here, that many of us believe. Many of us have repented to Yeshua. We took an altar call or said a sinner's prayer or whatever. That many of us here were, we were, may have been baptized in a Gentile tradition or immersed as adults. But we necessarily haven't had an inc- we haven't necessarily had an incident where we've gone around speaking in tongues, prophesying, exhibiting a lot of miraculous, charismatic activity. And we, we may indeed very, feel very deeply connected to God and Yeshua in our own personal spiritual lives, but we haven't necessarily been doing, charismatic, doing Holy Spirit charismatic stuff. So what's going on here? I mean, how do we process this? Well, here's, here's one way. Here's, uh, here's one way to do this. When I was young, I was about 15 years old, I was a brand new believer, Yeshua. I was just beginning to read the Bible. I went to a youth Bible study, and I got in trouble, and I got chewed out by the youth director. <laughs> I, think, I think some of you who have been in with me in Bible studies can like, understand how this could happen. But <laughs> um, imagine you adult me, then imagine like, t- what teenage me must have been like. It was <laughs> but, uh, he, the youth director, he, he, he was giving a teaching on Acts 2, what we just read, the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, and he said, This was the first time the apostles and the disciples have received the Holy Spirit. And I chime in and I say, no, it wasn't. He said, yes, it is. That's Pentecost. That's the day they all received the Holy Spirit. I said, no, no, it wasn't. They got it earlier. And he tells me, like, well, when? When did they get it earlier? And I said, well, it was in John's gospel, I think. It's like, well, where in John's gospel? And I said, well, I don't know. I think it was like the end part after, after Yeshua came back to life. And just like, and so he's like still, he doesn't believe me, but then he goes later on, he checks it out, and then he says, sorry to me, because I was right. Actually, we were both right, but maybe, I don't know, maybe I was a little more right here. But <laughs> let's take a look at John 20, right? We have, can we have John? It was evening on that day, the first of the week, when the doors were locked, when the disciples, where the disciples were. That Yeshua had, this was, Yeshua had just been resurrected, and this was the evening after. Yeshua came and stood in their midst and said to them, he basically walked right through the wall, and said to them, Shalom Aleichem. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Yeshua said to them again, Shalom Aleichem. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after he said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Ruach HaKodesh. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. But if you hold back... They are held back. So what's going on here? When did, when did they receive the Holy Spirit first? Was, did they receive it in John 20 or in Acts 2? What's going on? This is important. Throughout Scripture, the apostolic writings, New Testament, there's a distinction between having and receiving the, the Ruach HaKodesh and being filled with and baptized with the Ruach HaKodesh. Why are you saying the word baptism? You're, you're, in, a, you're in a Messianic synagogue. You're supposed to say immersed. Well, I'm saying ba- because that's the Greek root. Is 
baptizo, which means soaked, dunked, dipped in, saturated, that there's a distinction between having the Holy Spirit, which all born-again believers have, and being at time, certain times and in certain places being immersed with and having the Holy Spirit come on somebody with power. And that, ha- and that happens at certain times and places. For example, we read the following in Acts 4. As Peter and John were speaking to the people, the Kohanim, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came up to them. They were indignant because Peter and John were teaching the people and announcing an issue of the resurrection announcing any issue of the resurrection of the dead. So they grabbed them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders of the Torah scholars were gathered together in Jerusalem. Annas the Kohen Gadol was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all those who were of high priestly descent. When they placed Peter and John in their midst, they began to inquire, by what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a mitzvah done for a sick man as to how this fellow was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Yeshua HaMashiach HaNatsri, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this one stands before you whole. This Yeshua, the stone rejected by you, the builders, has now become the chief cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and figured that they were laymen without training, they were amazed. They began to realize that these men had been with Yeshua. Later on, it says the following, As soon as they were released, Peter and John went to their own people and reported all that the ruling Kohanim and elders had to say to them. When they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Who was filled with the Ruach HaKodesh in Acts 4? Who? The same people who were filled with the Ruach HaKodesh in Acts 2, and they would be filled with and immersed with the Holy Spirit again and again and again. It's something that happens at certain times and places. It's a reoccurring event. So that's something important to understand, that there are times in a believer's life and in the congregation of believer's life where the Holy Spirit will come on a people with, with power as opposed to the constant indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we do experience. Also, another thing to note there, if we could go back to the last slide, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Ruach HaKadosh, said to them, If you know anything about Greek, that's a, that's a participial phrase and the way, especially with Latin or Greek, if you ever study this stuff, and uh, it's just terrible. But uh, <laughs> it's basically, it's taught, when it uses that, that kind of participle, it's basically saying that there's some sort of action that's occurring in the middle of a sequence of events. It's not, it's not des- describing Peter's attributes. It's saying something that happened. So what happened was, Annas Caiaphas, they ask him these questions, and then, all this, and then the Holy Spirit comes on Peter, and he's able to answer their questions. So that that's uh, so it is something that will come on a believer when they when they need to do something efficacious for the Lord and for His kingdom. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is, and that's what it means to be filled with and immersed with the Holy Spirit. Right? We can go this. So the question is, well, okay, this sounds really cool. How do we get the? Uh, how do we get immersed and filled with the Holy Spirit? 
Well, the first thing you can do is simply ask. Just ask God, hey, Lord, may I please be filled with it? Raise your hand. Who here wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning? Raise your hand. Who here would like to be filled with and immersed with the Holy Spirit? Say, Lord, please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Can you, whoever wants it. Can you say that? Lord, please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Okay. And if you don't get filled now, keep asking. Just, just because if you, if, like, any, like any father, if you keep pestering for something, it'll eventually cave, which I know Rosie and Beatrice are, are listening there. We read here in the following in Luke 11, right? What is Luke 11? 11, what father, if he asks his son a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your heavenly Father give the Ruach HaKodesh to those who ask them? Now, typically, you'll read this, this verse about prayer and about keeping up with prayer and, and continually praying about something. And that's, that's a good, right context to use that scripture in. But it also says that you can, you can ask for the, continue to ask for the Ruach HaKodesh and you'll get it. You keep asking the Lord for this. And also, Paul says something interesting in 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking about the Corinthians, talking to them about spiritual gifts. He says, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, keep trying to excel for the building up of, of the community. Then let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. But Paul is actually telling them here, if you, if you, want, if you feel like you want or need a spiritual gift, you can ask, did you know you can do that? You can ask the Lord for, I mean, the worst he could do is just say no or not do it. I mean, it's not like you're going to get zapped if you just, it, <laughs> I mean, just ask. And, if, and what we see here at Luke 11 and 13 is that if you ask him, he's not going to lead you down some bad road where you start getting into false false stuff. If you ask the Lord for the Holy Spirit, he'll give, he is bound by the promises in Scripture to give that to you, and, and he's not going to do something wrong or bad to you. If you simply, in, in, in good faith, ask him for indwelling and power in the Holy Spirit. How, do, how else do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? You minister, right? I believe we have Acts, I want to say Acts 13 up there. Now, when they were at Antioch and the church there, uh, in the church that was there, it's NASB Bible, uh, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been uh, brought up with uh, Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were ministering, and that's a special Greek word we'll look at later, to the Lord and fasting, the Ruach HaKodesh said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then, when they had fasted and prayed and, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, that's an interesting word there, that they, they were doing two things when they, had this, when they had this Holy Spirit event occur in their lives. They were ministering and they were fasting. What does that mean, ministering? Because you use that word all the time, you don't really know what it means. Basically, it's a general, it's a kind of, which is okay, because it's kind of a general catch-all term in Greek. Uh, that it basically means to fulfill some sort of office or official duty. And later on, it was used uh, in regard to the priests and, and their priestly duties that the that Levites had, uh, the Levitical priests had. And so the question, well, we're, we, are not, we don't have a temple to go do sacrifices in or anything, so how do we minister? How do we minister to the Lord? And so, well, what is it? What does the scripture said? He said, "I desire chesed and not sacrifice. I desire daat Elohim more than burnt offerings." Chesed meaning love 
and faithfulness, a loyal love to God and to our fellow man. Da'at Elohim means knowledge of God, but it can also mean acknowledgement of God and familiarity with him. That's what he wants. So the ministering that we do, that we can do here in these present days, it's, it's what we're doing today. It's prayer. It's study. It's praise. It's thanksgiving. It's acts of loving kindness to one another. We do that. We do that ministry as though it were a, a, a priest ministering in, in, a, in a temple. Then the Holy Spirit comes and desires to dwell in our midst. And the fourth thing, well, I guess the third, I, I, I guess I have three. The third thing we have here is that we got a clean house, right? That we read, uh, they were ministering, but they were also fasting. And it's, it's very interesting. It's, there's good historical reason to believe that fasting was a lot more common in the Yeshua community than it was in modern times. They might have done it a, a lot. Well, we do it maybe two times a year. They may have been doing it multiple times, like maybe once or twice a week even, fasting. So the very devout people. And, and even if you, even if we don't or cannot fast that much, there, uh, any, an austerity in, in, your, in your eating or in your consumption habits, it cleans you up and makes, gives you the ability to be a temple for the Holy Spirit to come in. Daniel 10, Daniel 10, 11, the, whole book, the last book of Daniel, he receives this grand prophetic vision from the Lord. What, is, what was he doing before he got that grand prophetic vision of the Lord? It says, I ate no rich food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I anoint myself with oil until the end of three weeks. So it wasn't, a, he, Daniel was not fasting before he got this vision. He was just eating very austerely and simply, which is very interesting, right? Did you know that the Bible says that how you eat and things you consume can affect your prayer life and your spiritual life? It's actually in there. I mean, and later on in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is recklessness. Instead, be filled with the Ruach. Then in Paul's mind, those two things are mutually exclusive. That if you are intoxicated, if you are under chemical influence, if you are engaged in other bad bodily activities, that it, it's going to hinder your ability to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, our bodies are, we are a temple. Our bodies are a temple. And it's possible that we can grieve the Holy Spirit and make it unpleasant for Him to dwell and stay with us. That you, 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 instead of getting a five-star rating, we get only a two- or one-star rating when he, when he stays with us. I mean, we don't want that to happen, right? If we maintain, we maintain good, honorable, physical, and mental habits, then the Holy Spirit will want to fill us and, and give us power and, and immerse us. And so we see here, um, we have our slides up here, that we have the Holy we see what it is, and we see how we can get it, right? Now, the, th- the third thing is, what happens, what does the Holy Spirit do when we get it? Well, uh, I mean, first we should talk about what the Holy Spirit does, what does not happen, when, just be- because you have the, the, the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What, does not, what it does not do, or at least what it does not do in this present age, is that it's not going to make your life perfect. It's not going to make you behave. It won't, uh, you won't necessarily behave perfectly or feel perfectly or make perfect decisions and take perfect actions. Paul, he was a clearly a man who was immersed in the Holy Spirit. Paul also had a thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 
7. He said he had some, uh, what he called a thorn in the flesh, some physical condition that he equated with satanic oppression. Paul, he said, he wrote to the Thessalonians, and he said, I, wanted, I really wanted to visit you, but, quote-unquote, Satan prevented me from being able to visit you. So he had a Holy Spirit baptism, but it was not something that made him invincible or able to do whatever he wanted. And later on, Paul writes two letters to a congregation in Corinth, and he writes in-depth about charismata, about the working of the Holy Spirit in that community. He had a lot to say to them because these people were clearly having Holy Spirit activity going on in their congregation, a lot of it. Does that mean that the congregation in Corinth, that that was a model congregation that we should all emulate? No. Uh, they were having a lot of weird problems going on in that congregation. They had uh, fellow members suing each other in court. They had uh, they had weird, sick, incestuous activity going on uh, going on with uh, members of that congregation, along with a lot of other bad acts that they were doing. So he had, and he had to, and he wrote in depth about admonishing them. So this was a these were very imperfect people, but they were still having the Holy Spirit act in their midst. Be very careful. Be very careful about judging what the, what the Holy Spirit is doing with another believer, right? Like Sony was talking about, that somebody may have, they, they may be sick, they may have a physical condition or other things. Be very careful about judging what the Holy Spirit is doing with another believer. That if somebody seems to you like they're a little eccentric or maybe they're struggling or maybe they're less than morally perfect, God will give extra Holy Spirit to the people who need it, because that's, that's how he acts. He, he will go after the lost sheep. He will use the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. So if he will give people what they, a believer, what they need. If they need more charismatic activity going on in their lives, he'll give it to them. If they need less, he'll give them less. That's one way of looking at it. The flip side of that is that don't think that you're not a good enough person that you can't experience a Holy Spirit indwelling. Because some of us hear that we're a little more Corinthian than we like to admit, right? But if they can have it, we too can have Holy Spirit filling, right? So let's let's flip to slide 27 because I got to uh, we got to fast forward through some stuff since we're running a little late. What uh, so let's what does the Holy Spirit what it does it do? What will happen when we get an immersion in the Holy Spirit? One is that we will be able to have bold and effective declaration of the Word of God and of the gospel, right, with Peter. What was Peter doing two months before Acts 4 where he's in front of Annas and Caiaphas? What was he doing? He was denying the even knew who Yeshua was, denied him three times. He was holed up in hiding, scared for his life that, he, that something was going to happen. Two months before, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, he gets a big boldness download, right? He gets some chutzpah. And he's able to say that you were surprised by his boldness. That's what happens when you get Holy Spirit activity. You go from 120 people to 3,000. You go from scared and hiding and timid to being able to boldly declare the gospel and the word of God to people who need it. Second thing is that it is a seal. It is a pledge. It is a guarantee. It is a sort of down payment for what we're going to receive in the age to come. Again, it will not make you perfect and be able to do things perfectly, but it's a foretaste of the total redemption not just spirit, but body, so, body, mind, soul, spirit, world that, you, that Yeshua is going to be able to perform in the age to come. You get a little foretaste of that in your heart 
What else was it, does it do? Renewal and sanctification. Does anyone here know the difference between justification and sanctification? Because I need, really need somebody to explain it to me. So uh, if you come see me later and explain it to me. I, I, because that's another thing that happened when I was a new believer is that I go these seminars that the church would have, and it's like new believer seminars, and they'd have this really neat chart and graph up there. It's like there's justification and there's sanctification. You were justified when you started to believe, but now you have to work up to sanctification. I leave, the, leave that class thinking, wow, okay, I'm going to get sanctified here. This is fun. I'm going to do that. And it basically works out about as well as any other New Year's resolution, right? The holy, the Ruach HaKodesh is the thing that is sanctifying you. That's it working through you. It's not something you can do yourself. It's something you can help and facilitate the Holy Spirit. But, but it is the Ruach that's doing that. And it, it, takes a long, it takes a lifetime to sanctify a person in many cases. Holy Spirit, is, he's constantly working and interceding to make you more and more sanctified. He likes sanctified places, and he likes to make places sanctified. That's what it does. The, the fourth thing is that it will give you spiritual gifts to fulfill your vocation. Is that we, we saw the tongues, the tongues and pro, pro, think about, what, there's a few things to understand about speaking of tongues. One is that we actually do that here, right? We'll say Hebrew, and then we'll say English. We'll translate it. We also, we've, we have Portuguese speakers, we have uh, Spanish speakers, we have Russian speakers at times, and we have people who are deaf, and there's ASL uh, sign language, and we'll, there, there, are ability, there are people in this congregation who can translate and convey them the Word of God. Back in the first century, it was a much more urgent problem because they didn't have any mass media or mass communication back then. If you traveled probably 20 or 30 miles in either direction, you would probably encounter somebody speaking a completely different dialect than what you were speaking. It would be uncomfortably difficult to talk to different Greek speakers, let alone throw in their Hebrew or Aramaic or Latin or other, the other dialects they were speaking. It was, it was a big problem so that if you had miraculous speaking of tongues, you were all of a sudden able to talk to, talk to people you couldn't talk with before, that the gospel, the word of God could spread a lot faster. So, so, again, the Spirit was giving people what they needed at the time that they needed it. And the Spirit knows what people need. So if, if the Lord gives you a job or a vocation to do, He is going to give you the equipment and the, the software, so the Holy Spirit software that you need to fulfill it. You will have that. Fifth thing, extremely important, is that what the Holy Spirit is, is doing and is going to be doing in the future is that it will enable the Jewish people to follow Torah. Let's look at Ezekiel 26, I want to say. Yes, Ezekiel 36. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says Adonai Elohim, I do not do this for your sake, house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations wherever you went. I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am Adonai. It is a declaration of Adonai. When I am sanctified before you, in you before your eyes, for I will take you from the nations, gather you out from all the countries, and bring you back to your land. He's been doing that for about 70 years now, right? We, Israel just had a 70th anniversary. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all uncleanness and, and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the stony heart from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my ruach within you. Then I will cause you to walk in my laws so you will keep my rulings and do them. Then you will live in the land that I gave to your fathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. So this is quite a thing here in light of what we were talking about, that the future of Judaism, the future of Judaism is for the Holy Spirit to fill all of Israel, all Jews en masse. The Holy Spirit is going to fill all of Israel. And when it does, it will enable Israel to be able to keep Torah properly. If we take seriously what Ezekiel is saying here, that there's going to be in the future, and hopefully in the near future, a mass indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is going to revive and revolutionize Judaism as we know it. I don't, get, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like or what Torah observance will look like or when that's going to happen. But in the future, swiftly and soon, even in our days, all of Israel will be filled with the Holy Spirit and living out Torah through the Holy Spirit. And the people you see here in this room today, that we're the first fruits of that. It's important to know. I've been, I've been involved in Messianic Judaism for about 10 years or so, going on 11 years, a good decade, good solid decade. And one observation I made about in Messianic Judaism is that they're preoccupied with about two things in particular, two things that really preoccupy people. One is congregational growth and outreach, right? Every, every, every convention you go through, it's congregational growth and outreach. How do, we get a, how do we grow a congregation? How do we reach out to the Jewish people? How do we get people in the pews? There's a lot of thought, there's a lot of prayer, there's a lot of dialogue that has been devoted to that issue. The second thing that Messianic Jews like to talk about and debate about a lot is proper Torah observant, how to be properly Torah observant. Like how? I mean, do we have to be, we have to act orthodox? Do we act reformed? Do we act conservative? Do we act somewhere in between? Do we eat milk and meat together? What do we do on Shabbat? I mean, all these, all these things. How do, we, how do we be properly Torah observant? What Scripture shows us is that the answer, the ultimate answer to both of those questions lies in the working of the Ruach HaKodesh in our community, that the Holy Spirit will enable bold, effective declaration of the good news to the Jewish people. And that the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, will enable and guide the Jewish people to keep Torah. That, that is why it is our killer app. It is what makes the Yeshua congregation exist and grow and thrive. And it's ultimately going to be the killer app for Israel, too. It's going to be the thing that brings a new life and a new heart to all of Israel in the age to come, swiftly and soon, even in our days. Shabbat Shalom.